everything is a commodity if you make it a commodity because you know there's always a chance to make a brand in any space and the second part of your brain should be convinced through your value messaging that why that is a good price to pay if it's 10 bucks higher 15 bucks higher why is that a good price to pay what is in its in its service what is in its brand what what what's in there that you have value added that convincing me that 15 bucks or 10 bucks extra is the right thing to do so i think it's convincing people that value that you're providing is more than what you're charging same thing that hey if your brand building of your car rental agency was happening outside of the platform by the time someone comes into the platform they will be choosing you you are listening the revenue machine the podcast dedicated to revenue management in car rental we have created it to enhance your January zone I'm Emmanuel Scuto, the founder and CEO of Reyield and a Revenue Machinist. My ambition is to give knowledge and share experience to get inspiration. To do what? To reach a new level of performance, but also to have a better clarity and more freedom in the way you do your job every day. Today, we are going to talk about a big topic. The topic is pricing. And it's definitely a big topic for many companies in the world. But surely in my area of the car rental, it is a mind-blowing activity. Every instant, the operators are praying to have the good price, not too too low, not too high, to maximize first their utilization and uh, to maximize their profit. They, They are thinking about it every hour. So in a very highly competitive environment, like the car rental, which unfortunately is seen as a commodity, which is a huge increase of the supply cost recently, the equation seems to be impossible to solve. And the trick is like both car rental companies, are, enfin, the car rental industry, they're working either both in the, on the B2C, so for to manage their yeah. Uh, uh, direct leisure customers and on the B2B with their corporate account, assistance, etc. So today uh, I have proposed Karen Sud to bring his second to known expertise in pricing to enlighten our current audience with his vision and his expertise. Karen has been working in the pricing for the last 15 years in the automobile, uh, in yellow pages, in the health sector and uh, right now is the director of sales Operation at Rakuten Canada. So he's an, also an important contributor in the Professional Pricing Society Association where we got connected. So I found Absolutely. extremely inspiring yeah. uh, your post on LinkedIn about how to control a, a discount on the B2B sales and also the one, <laughs> I really love that, stop obsession about price in which yeah. you share that only 20% of the customers are price sensitive. So that, yeah. so I'm sure you will yeah. hit a lot of. Uh, oh, oh yeah, of, that's 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 a that's a big one. And thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, that's here, a right? big one. So we are going to, to 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 discuss about this topic. Uh, first, I would like to ask you, what is your check-in? How do you start this podcast? What is your feeling, your emotion, your your energy this afternoon? Because you are based in Toronto, right? Yes, we are based in Toronto. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. Everything is good. We have not so great weather. The, all summer this year has been a bit not so great. It's rainy. It's gloomy. 
but we are towards the end we're approaching the end of summer we are making the most out of it uh, but i'm yeah fa feeling fairly positive today yeah did you get any any um because we are currently recording in august 23 and i've heard there were so many fires in canada from the east to the yes. west east toronto has oh. been hit or not at all east was hit Fires were hit up fires have hit us across the board, west and the east. It was the east first, and then there was west, there was east, and now there's a whole lot of fires going on in the western Canada. Is it's an I have never seen seen that scale of fire and evacuation being carried out in major cities. Like there are cities like Kelowna that are really burning and people are escaping. And it's 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 a it's a scene that's unheard of. Like never I've never no. seen it in recent history. I've seen it in TVs and like happened in other places, but to have to have it happen so close to home is probably the first time yeah wow so for me i have a my check-in is that I'm, I'm super enthusiastic to have such a high uh to have the possibility to to uh, to, to discuss with you around this uh, revenue machine podcast and to talk about such an important topic of pricing so uh, my, my level of energy is super i'm super enthusiastic and uh and uh i'm sure it will it will bring a lot of value and and uh and good inspiration for our for our audience. I hope Would you I like can to do justice. I hope I can do justice to that. So <laughs> I'm sure it will be. I have no doubt. Um, would you mind introduce yourself briefly? What is your yeah. background? And uh, I just gave a, a very very light uh, uh, summary of your career, but maybe you can yeah. you can describe it a little bit mm -hmm. with more details for the people yeah. to understand you better. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Karen. I, I was born and raised in India. I moved to Canada almost, uh, I think, 18 years ago at this point. Uh, I have a background in engineering. So I, I obviously, a lot of people in India grew up, grew up, grew up to become a doctor and engineer. I was an engineer, uh, but never worked as an engineer by profession. Went straight from my MBA, came to Canada, did my MBA, got my first job at General Motors. So in the automobile sector, this is, and this was at the height of the downturn of the automobile sector in 2007 when everyone was going bankrupt you know satin and you know pontiac and all these brands were going bankrupt they were getting bailouts um bailouts so i joined the automotive sector at that time and i was working in the parts operation business so basically you know spare parts and accessories okay. so that's what we priced so we priced brakes clutches engines you know mats and all all the accessories and now everything that went into the car after the car is sold so that was what that was my initial um foray into 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 pricing so i worked there for almost two years then i worked then i went on and worked for another automotive brand called mitsubishi uh, japanese brand totally different culture in how they operate and how they do pricing how they you know function cross-functionally very different from what gm used to be uh, again you know a great learning experience in how how to do pricing in, in Japanese uh, brands. And then from there, I moved on to a company called Yellow Pages, which you know a lot of people in France know, know as uh, Pajon, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but I thought, uh, hold on, just before, was it, did you, did you measure or did you notice a big difference in the pricing approach from an American uh, company versus a Japanese one? Uh, yeah, there definitely was. Uh, Canada for for a lot of these U.S. brand companies is a smaller market, so a lot of things that are dictated out of 
out of US. So what the US did, we almost did something on the same line, or we actually did a markup on the same number. So if someone was selling something in, in US for like a hundred bucks, we would apply a markup on that same same part and sell it in Canada for 150 bucks, let's say. Okay. So it was very cost oriented. There was no discussion of value. There was no discussion of like, hey, what's uh, what should be the right price for it based on the competition and everything else. So that's where it, it was very, very, and there was less, it was less challenging. It was less challenging. So that was, so that was that. But when you came into a Japanese company, everything is different. They have processes for everything. They have, they have rules for like, hey, this is how we operate. This is how we, this is how we measure. This is how we basically then get RFQs and RFPs for if you are if you are sourcing a new part. This is this is the process for it. This is what we want. This we want ten percent cheaper, fifteen percent cheaper, and this is the volume. They had more set rules around how they wanted to operate, and that I think and how and the timing of when they wanted things. And I think that came for a lot from how Japanese evolved the automotive sector and how they had just in time and every, all the concepts that came from there. I think that was uh, an, uh, a consequence of that. So very different in that sort of very different in how organization control happens, you know, so different, different from that perspective. Um, so that was, okay. that was the main difference between, between a US and a, and a Japanese car company. And, and so then you, you enter in a total, total different yeah. business with the yellow pages. Totally different business. Yeah, totally different business. Even uh, uh, from selling those car parts to selling directories. Um, and this was again back in 2010, 11. And directories, directories were on a decline because uh, no one, it's the internet, no one wanted a directory. Uh, and we were pricing out ads in a directory. Like literally, my job was to make sure what is the cost of a full page ad in a directory or a half page ad in a directory. And believe it or not, even at that time, it costed almost, let's say, $50,000 to get a full page ad in a directory. It was no small business. Um, and pricing that. And, and that's where we first started looking, okay, what is the value of a page and what's the value of an ad? Uh, and that's where you first started looking at, okay, pricing is not about cost because it doesn't cost, it costs pennies to print this directory. It costs pennies to print this page on a directory, but it's actually valuable a lot more. When you have an ad for a lawyer on a full page of a directory or on the front page of a directory, think about that. The directory is lying here and there and there's a front page ad with the lawyer. You will remember that name and the volume of calls that ad will get, let's say 50, 100, 150. If you convert a third of those calls, if you get 150 calls from that ad a month and if you convert 50 of those calls for a lawyer and those each of those calls are worth, let's say, you know, a thousand dollars, then all, all of a sudden that, that ad is generating you $50,000 a month. Then how do you price it? Then we will basically figure out that, okay, how much are they willing to pay? Is it 10 grand? Is it 15,000, 12,000? And that's when we started to realize, okay, it's all about the value. So I worked there. And for was it something years. new? It was a new approach for them at that time? I mean, you were the originator of that or it was something maybe uh, more on the, on a basic way, it was done mostly, I don't know, by marketing or? Uh, it, there was there was some was legacy, some we knew, but also now we were evolving because now we were doing more studies to track the ROI. So we, at that point, we started tracking phone numbers of how people were called. When people, like what number went into a directory, we would track that number 
how many calls happened on that number. And that way we were able to, that was new. ROI tracking became new. But then all of a sudden at the same time, there was a shift happening. Everyone was moving online. And at that point, we started to basically say, okay, now we need to price out clicks and impressions anyway. and, you know, website clicks. And that's when we had to switch. Okay. Okay. Print was good, but it's declining. Now we're going to focus on this new stuff. So we then he had to start pricing out websites and start pr pricing out profile pages and clicks and impressions. And that's an altogether different, different, uh, different way of doing pricing because now we have to measure how many clicks does it take to make one call? Because let's say if you go on someone's website or someone's page in Pajon, someone's listing, you're not just basically clicking on the phone number and calling right away. You're probably clicking 10, 15 different places and then you're calling. So it, we realized, oh, it actually takes 20 clicks before someone makes a call. So when we say and go out and say, hey, this ad will give you 100 clicks, it really doesn't mean 100 leads. It means 100 divided by 20 is like five calls. So this will give you five calls. And we knew the ROI of each of those calls. So if it was going to a plumber, we would figure out how much can a plumber make from each call. The industry standard was, let's say, 500 bucks. How much would a dentist make? The industry standard would be around $1,200. That each, each call to a dentist is worth $1,200 or more over the lifetime. Because you're not making one customer. You're making that one customer times the X number of years you'll keep him, right? So you, mm -hmm. you go to a dentist, you find a dentist, you're going to be with that dentist for years until unless you some, do something wrong. So that's worth a lot more. Now to bring that and that all that ROI back, right? And we say, hey, this, this ad will generate you $15,000 in lifetime value. And when you do that, you got to then explain it to the sales guys that, hey guys, this ad, you got to be able to sell it with this ROI story that we will be able to generate this much more revenue. And then they had to take it to the customer and customer will sometimes just laugh it out, laugh at them and say, Hey, no, this, there's no end ad generating me so much money, but we know we had the ROI story. We had the, we had the, um, the proof we had studies that we were doing. So a lot went into basically showcasing that value. So it was never about just, Hey, here's the price, go sell. I was like, here's the price. Now here's the value story that you need. Here's the case studies you need. Here's another dentist case study. Hey, take that. Here's this call tracking that we did for another customer. See the results. They got 20 calls. Each lasted five minutes each or 10 minutes each. So they were all meaningful calls. They were not just like, hey, you know, wrong, wrong numbers. They were basically people looking for a service. So all that was measured. And then how that's how pricing got successful there. And but, people were But then uh, you you you've been hit by the, I do believe by uh, Google and uh, yeah, and that. yeah. <laughs> because now I think that I mean personally, I just use uh, 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 Google and I, I I have the Google listing. I look at their stars and stuff like that, and then uh, uh, they can I, yeah. uh, they, yeah, they can put their uh, their Google rank and sponsor yeah. get a pay per, cl per click, but it's managed yeah. by Google and nothing from the yellow pages anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. They lost and business or. Oh, they did. But remember, like they were a billion dollar print company, then became a, a seven, six, seven hundred million dollar company that does print and online. And then they became even smaller company that's now probably digital only. And now they sell websites and now they sell, you know, other solutions for advertising as search engine management and search engine optimization. So they went 
all digital now. And then we had to price those products. Like how do we price websites? You want a website? Here's the price, subscription-based. You want a profile page? Here's the price. You want to be on the top on the search page? Here's the price. You want to be top of Google? Let's make an SEM program and price that program with some fees, etc., and performance. So, so that was happening. And now that's still, they're still around. They're still around. So obviously okay. they're doing something right. Um, but the scale of their existence is obviously smaller. That's uh, that's amazing how the techno has disrupted this uh, this particular oh, yeah. business that was a cash cow. You know? Oh, trust me. The story, yeah, the story we heard was that back in the days when when Parjan and Yellow Pages were at the top, if someone if a, if a customer said they don't want the ad, the the sales guy would rip the phone out of the wall because they said, hey, the phone's not going to ring anymore because your ad's no longer in the Yellow Pages. So that was, but that was the good days. Okay. So was, yeah. And so, and then you move to the, um, you move in the, uh, in the health business, yeah. right? So, so what, then what was I, this health business yeah. uh, about? So then I moved to a company that made health supplements, you know, so bodybuilding supplements, you know, protein powders, ah, pre-workouts, okay. right. pre-workouts, fat loss pills, huge business, huge business. It's a huge industry in North America. The whole bit of fat loss pill industry is worth billions of dollars here. Uh, and then protein powders the same way. And there's some big CPG brands in that space. Like the biggest CPG brands are investing in that space because it's, you know, obviously everyone wants to be fit. They want to have protein. They want to have energy drinks. They want to have, you know, plant-based protein. Then they want to have, you know, fat loss pills. So on. The, the lineup of products was amazing. And what is the CPT? You, you use an acronym. What is this acronym? Oh, so CPG, basically, consumer packaged goods. So anything that you basically get at a superstore, in a way. Okay. All so, right. You know. It's so not my they, business. So <laughs> I'm yeah. just so, Yeah. So sorry about that. So yeah. So that space, very competitive space. And this is a commodity. Now you're talking about a commodity space, right? Like CPG, all of consumer packaged goods is a little bit of commodity. Like all your cookies and all your snacks and all your milk and all your... Like they're all part of that that CPG, you know, that CPG industry and protein powders as well. And now everything is a commodity in a way. People perceive it as a commodity because they're like, hey, protein powders is a protein powder. Doesn't matter. You can put any name on it, but it's a protein powder because um, they come up from the same source. It has nothing but protein in it. Um, so it's not like you know, there's there's rocket science there. So that's the space I went to. And there, I sort of did their global, uh, their global pricing. So they were selling into multitude of countries, like 50, 60 countries. And it was my responsibility to make sure that pricing made sense globally. Because now with now with so much happening in the world, like in terms of shipping is so easy. You can ship a container from here to, you know, UAE, or you can ship a container from here to, you know, China or anywhere else. And, you know, you can buy it. Someone can say that, hey, take, they're taking this product to, to Africa, but they could be taking their container somewhere else. It's, it's so easy to manipulate shipping in this industry. So, you know, obviously you have to go always keep track of what's leaving the, the warehouse and at what price is leaving the warehouse. A lot of times what people did, well, they bought products for an international market, but that, that product would sometimes not leave the, the country and would just go in a warehouse in the US or in Canada and then sell locally, which destroyed the pricing in a way. So we had to really, really control that. So that's the okay. industry we went in. 
And that oh, I think yeah. is that is I think is where you say commodity. And that's where I challenge last year, likely the same seal you get this or this year, you probably get the same sort of cookies. Why? Why did you get the same sort of cookies? Why do you get the same cereal? Because the brand, that brand did a great job of convincing you that, hey, we are the cereal that you have to buy. We are the we are the pack of cookies that you have to buy. We are the snack that you have to buy. Nothing else. So people go in and buy that day in, day out. And that's because of brand. There are 10,000 other cookies there, but you you went in and bought the same brand day in, day out most of the time. And that's because of brand. So someone's doing their job right in branding to convince you to buy that thing. And that's why I say everything is about uh, about a brand. Even pricing is about a brand at some at some level. So anyway. And um, I, I will come back on this point. Maybe we can continue this uh, because your last experience is to work at Rakuten. Yeah. But I would yeah, like so to come back on this uh, on this uh, topic of brand because in the current all there is a there is a very interesting uh, element on that. So, so please yeah. continue with the Rakuten, yeah. which is your current and last experience. Yeah. So I worked at the CPG brand for a couple of years, and I realized that I wanted something new, and I went to work. And I came here and worked at uh, uh, at Rakuten Kobo. So Kobo is uh, e-reader. So something like like this. It's something you read. Uh, yeah, so it's not, a, it's, it's not like a tablet. It's an e-reader that basically purely is for reading, distraction-free reading. And yes. we are the, oh, I, I believe we are probably the second biggest in this space after Amazon. And we sell this product globally. We are owned by Rakuten. Rakuten is our parent company. The Jap they're the Japanese, uh, Japanese uh, internet giant and, you know, telecom giant and, you know, they're e-com giant. They're, they're a big company out from Japan. They bought us a couple of years ago and we sell a product globally. And my job at this company is to make sure that we control prices for our products globally. We control promotions. You know, what, what do we sell? What offer? When to, when to have it? When to sell? When to, what offer to give out on Mother's Day? What to do on Father's Day? What to do on Christmas? What to do on Black Friday? What to do with when, when products are coming down the pipeline, we decide, okay, what features should sort of, sort of go in there? How much to charge for that? What's the value of that for us now and in the future? So we do a lot of that. We do a lot of that work and a lot of the research and experimentation work there as well. So uh, yeah, so that's where we are, electronics hardware space. And then we sell eBooks on those, on that, on those devices I'm, that people can read. I'm a, I'm a Kobo user and uh, I love that. And we have many books and it's super convenient, especially when I travel. I love to have the paper book as well, but uh, Honestly, the Kobo with the all the features of being able to to bookmark some elements and to highlight and to keep the, the record of some notes. I really love that. It's extremely convenient. So I'm a super fan. Oh yeah. Like when, when you have, it means it seems that in fact over the last uh, if I'm not mistaken, like the last 15 years, we have only worked in the pricing. Was uh, it yes. just by luck, I would say, or by chance, or or that that came during your studies and say okay yeah. that's the type of, of topic i want to to tackle yeah i i actually wrote a, a whole post on this so here's what happened so when i was in the mba program the first year we were to, we were supposed to go out and find internships and i didn't find one i for the longest time i didn't find one i kept looking looking i went through interview rounds and it was not it was just not happening in the last moment so on the last day, on the la on the last day of the term, before we were supposed to go on basically on a break and come back and 
get into it next semester. On the last day, General Motors came to campus because they were supposed to go somewhere else. Their recruitment team was supposed to go somewhere else, but they were late or they weren't able to get the right students. So they landed up in our university where I was, the University of Windsor. And they said, hey, there's a company on campus. You want to interview for intern role? So we went. There were like three or four of us who didn't have a job till then. And, uh, and, and as luck would have it, they had four roles. We had four people who were left and we all got a role. Uh, and that was pricing. And I had no idea. I'm like, okay, pricing <laughs> analyst, pricing analyst. So what, a, how difficult it can be and what can it be? So it paid well. It was a good job. I did it for almost, you know, I worked there for almost a year and a half, two years. Then, then I said, okay, now pricing analyst is enough. Now I want to do something more fancy, like, you know, marketing or strategy or finance. The finance was very flashy. Let's do less work in finance. So I started looking for, for roles and I went for this interview at Mitsubishi and, and it was for a marketing role, like a mark, like a fancy marketing, senior marketing analyst or something role. And we're sitting there and he's interviewing me and halfway into the interview, the, the recruiter goes, actually, this is not a good role for you. And I'm like, oh no. So I'm getting kicked out of an interview. He's like, no, actually we have another role coming up of a pricing analyst next week. Why don't you come back and interview for that role? And I was like, okay. So long behold, two weeks later, I got the, a new pricing analyst job at a new automobile company. And after that, it sort of became a little bit of, okay, maybe this is a niche I will, I will focus on. The next job happened to be, it got easier to find the next bigger opportunity in the space. So we thought, okay, man, I started to like it as well. Like the, everything that was happening and kind of challenges that were coming up with every role. So, and that's how I ended up in pricing, not by choice, by luck first, and then by luck again. And then no, I stuck true. with it. Then I stuck with it. It's um, um for 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 the young um, listeners of our audience. It's good because sometimes we have we have uh, the people they have something extremely clear on what they want to do, and uh, like this by surprise or by opportunity, there is something new that we have no clue about, and uh, suddenly it's a. Uh, for you, it's not a game changer. It's it's your game. It's your yeah. pricing uh, expertise now, and I think it's it's uh, yeah. it's fantastic yeah. to have this kind of opportunities. So. Yeah. One thing I, why I realized very early in life was that the ability to change your perspective is very helpful. If I just had a perspective that day that no, I don't want the pricing job. I actually want the marketing job. I may have had a different career. I, I don't know if I'll be more happy or not, or more, more, if I would have progressed more or not. But on that day, I had a very open mind on what I, what I could accomplish. And I went with it and I think it worked out really well. So for anyone who's listening, you know, don't be afraid of taking a challenge because the worst thing that can happen if, if you don't like that is you move on and find something new. It's better to do something that you to to do something that you like then keep on doing something that you don't like in the end, right? So might as well. Right, right. Okay. Um, just before, um, um, a minute ago, you were talking about the, the, the brand as the most uh, important. And uh, recently, you published a post on the, the Pricing Society and on your LinkedIn page regarding, uh, you were questioning that, do we know the, the, the master value proposition uh, are we competing against price with on price or on the brand? Yeah. And yeah. in the car rental industry, you know, 
as as we, we discussed, I mean, it's maybe a little bit like the the, 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 the the retail. I mean, they all have the same car, standing at the same airport, uh, more or less the same price. Okay, there is the loyalty uh, program for the big brands and uh, nothing for the others. So they just believe that the the, 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 the price is the only possibility to differentiate. And I keep pushing with my clients about the value of their brand, their capacity to do something with it. It's oh, not yeah. easy. It's not quick. But that's the main element of the, 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 the stability and the, and the development of their, of their business. It's not price, I would say. So how, how can, can you go back on this post and uh, give yeah. us some light about the, how do we compete on price or brand? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, I'll give you some backdrop. I'm a big user of the car rental industry. For a period of four years in my life, uh, before, before the pandemic, we actually didn't have a car in our household. So we only rented for four years uh, because we were living in downtown. Everything was accessible. And every weekend, I would just go out and rent a car. Um, you know, it was, I would rent a car for a day or two days or a week, two weeks, whatever I required. It was cheaper at that time for to me to rent a car than own a car at that point. So I, I sort of have that perspective. I was your ideal customer in a way that I had for four years running. I was doing multiple, multiple rentals a, year, a month, multiple rentals a year. So I sort of had that perspective in mind. So, so price, right? Like, so the, in that same post, I said, here's the research that showed it. So there were two American researchers who did a very simple research. They stood in department store aisles and they basically with a pen and clipboard and they asked everyone who was picking up something from the shelf, a couple of seconds later, they asked them very, one very simple question. What did you pick and what was it priced at? So someone was picking something or, you know, whatever they were picking, like, you know, cookies or milk or eggs or, or, you know, cereal or, you know, baby food, whatever they were picking. They asked him, he had, they asked him a very, very simple question. What did, what was the price you bought at? And most people could not remember what price they picked. No one remembered only like a you know, handful of people, like 15, 20% of the people who remembered what the, what price they paid. Some people didn't even want to venture a guess because they thought they'd be, they'd be far off in what they said. So it goes on to show that only like 15 to 20% of the people are really price sensitive. Rest yes, really but isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it linked to the fact that the, the, the product they were studying are like, say, $5 or $3 a pack? But when we are talking the leisure industry, like an air ticket, uh, hotel stay, car rental, uh, yeah. suddenly we are talking about multiple hundreds, like 200, yeah. 150 bucks for a yeah. weekend with their rental. Yeah. That's a different story. Oh, totally different. I totally agree. So the price sensitivity for a lower ticket item is very different than price sensitivity for a higher ticket item. And I totally agree with you. But our brains are very complex from that perspective. So there were two um, researchers, um, Kahneman, uh, Kahneman uh, I can't remember the full name, Kahneman, um, they had this theory that said our brain is made up of two parts. There's the stage one brain, and there's a stage two brain. They call it uh, editing brain and, and I think evaluation brain. So they said the part one of the brain is, is very quick. They're very quick at the part one is very good at filtering. Like, hey, okay, uh, you see something and you're like, okay, I like this, I'm gonna buy this. 
oh, I like this price point. I'm going to take, I'm going to buy this. And so it, it's almost that, that part, one of the brain almost feels like it's a filtering mechanism. And it looks at, so when you're looking at a car rental, right? You're looking at a car rental, everyone that the, the brain, the research says that the, the, the first part of the brain will have a reference point in mind. That reference point could that reference point could be something they've done in the past. Like if I'm booking a car rental right now and I see 50 bucks on the website, I'm gonna compare it to something I paid in the past in terms of like maybe I paid 35, maybe I paid 40, maybe I paid 50. So they're gonna reference that. And based on that, they're gonna make either make an instant decision that hey, okay, this feels like it's in the ballpark. It's in the ballpark. So what a what a what a day's car rental number is or prices. So they're going to make that decision. And then if that number is a bit different from what they have in, as a reference point in mind, then the decision goes to the second part, which then starts evaluating all the other factors. So it's like, okay, oh, so this price is actually higher. Let's say this is 10 bucks higher than what I had in mind. I had in mind $40 a day for a car rental for a mid-sized car. This is actually 50 or 55. So let me figure out what exactly is in this rental that's different from my previous one. And that's where the more analytic part of the brain comes in and start deciding on, okay, oh, this actually has unlimited kilometers. Oh, this is actually a better car or a bigger size. Oh, this is, oh, this actually also comes with, you know, fully full tank of gas or loyalty program or so on and so forth. So that part becomes more, more analytic. So I think we have to sort of look at it in a way that your pricing should should satisfy the the first part, which is like hey, instantly you should be able to say you should be able to recognize and say hey okay this is this is in the ballpark to to my reference point that that I have in my mind. Second part of your brain should be convinced through your value messaging that why that is a good price to pay. If it's ten bucks higher, fifteen bucks higher, why is that a good price to pay? What is in its in its service? What is in its brand? What what what's in there that you have value added that convincing me that 15 bucks or 10 bucks extra is the right thing to do to uh, right price to pay for that extra value. That value could be actually physical, like in terms of a better car, a newer car, or, you know, you could people could be advertising that as, hey, it's a new car with less thousand, 10,000 less kilometers, or it's a newer model car versus an older model car, or it could be untangible like hey safety or privacy or any or safety of car could be a, a psychological reason for people to buy a better uh, uh, a step up uh, or pay you extra for that for a premium because maybe you are advertising that hey this car has seven airbags and that's the psychological feeling of safety that you can price against which i don't see a lot of brands doing because they only focus on the day per day, unlimited kilometers, this price. Well, there's a whole lot of psychological, my wife steps into car and all she wants is a clean car, a big car, a clean car that, you know, she doesn't feel like she's stepped into something that has smoke filled, a smoke filled car. So she values that. And how do you price that? And she always says to me like, Hey, why don't you get the, the, the other one, which is, which is slightly better for this. And I'm like, Hey, it's a higher price. She's like, you should have paid the higher price for that for that for a little for a little bit of added luxury so i think it's convincing people that value that you're providing is more than what you're charging 
and what and that's the basis of all of pricing theory at the end of the day that perceived value that you're getting extra compared to what you're paying so if you're paying forty dollars a day what what is all the extra value that i'm getting that i wouldn't have got with an alternative that was also priced at the same price so when i stand in the in the aisle with hertz and dollar and all the other uh, six and all these other brands your your value proposition of what is the extra that you're doing is makes all the difference either it's making people feel special to remember like there's also the whole hierarchy of needs that hey people need the right, basic right. needs fulfilled and then the next few and there's and up in that hierarchy is all is the feeling of security and psychology and all you know that that whole feeling so how do you monetize that and that has to be part of that experience um so that's why i say brand and making people feel special is something that can be easily quantified and easily put a cost against and for the price sensitive customers have a have a have a segment of people where you can just pay and as soon as you sense that someone is price sensitive have them go into that path of that hey you're only willing to pay 30 bucks a month or 35 bucks a day this is the card that you'll get this is the level of service you'll get the faster you weed out those people into a different channel the better it is because a lot of companies what they end up doing is they 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 take all the customer they are and all they want to sell them to, to the highest and the greatest package it's actually not fruitful to, to try and upsell everyone into that highest and best best curve you want some people to actually go to the bottom some people to the middle and some people to the top so that's that's the thing yeah the thing that have uh, that we see in this market and maybe we can lead, link it to the uh, pgc uh, uh, industry which is the the control of the retailers that the distributors uh, if you talk a, a pack of cereals from kellogg's um, or the others the only way the only place you can buy them is at the shop and you don't have kellogg's shop you have to go to uh, walmart or walmart or whatever over the last 20 years, what we have seen in the car rental is like they are, the companies, they have outsourced their marketing to those big brokers. It started uh, 20 years ago with Expedia, uh, but it's also a price line. It's rental cars in Europe, car trawler, Discover. And for these guys that control maybe 50, 60, 70% of the business, their intention is not to be able to differentiate yourself because they don't care who will be the, they have many brands listed. They don't really care who will got the deal. They are just fighting against each other to maximize their conversion ratio. So when there is a lead coming, they want rental cars, want to make sure they will get the booking and they will do whatever possible in order to drive this business to their platform against the other. But then, will it be a transaction sign on an international brand like Avis, Earth, Europe Car, or Sixth, or a local independent company? They don't really care. So how, how in this environment, building the brand awareness while 50-60% of your transactions is driven by or is controlled by those distributors? Yeah. And again, I don't do the retail business, huh? but maybe yeah. there is some similarities no. with this. I think and I think there is a similarity because remember, what you're talking about is a transaction. 
the transaction of a car rental of, of, of on the time you're booking. So that's a transaction. The brand building doesn't happen on their website, doesn't happen on Priceline's website or Expedia. The brand building happens when you were looking for a trip. When you start for when you first started to look for a trip, like hey, I want a trip to whatever, or when you were or even offline or in terms of like TV and everywhere else, like the brand building happens off the transaction. It's only when people are looking, they need to be able to find you. So when I'm, for example, if it's if it's in my mind that Enterprise is the best car rental company out there, and that's and that messaging they have given fed to me through emails, through social media, through through a newsletter or through a TV ad or a radio ad or a print ad. So for that, all that machinery of marketing was working all this while and for waiting for me to go on a vacation. And the day I go on vacation and when I go on Expedia.com and I'm looking for car rentals, I want Expedia because Expedia has fed me all this, all this, all this marketing and advertising off platform. Because mm-hmm. by the time I, I go to Expedia's website, I've already made my mind up. I need a car rental. I've, I've already made a mind. I need, I need, a, I need a, a certain brand because that brand all this while has fed me information and has fed me the right things so that it's subconsciously, so that when I'm consciously making a decision to rent a car, it's that brand. So I think people need to differentiate between where are you building your brand? You're not building your brand on Expedia and Priceline. You're building a price brand somewhere else. So when the customer is ready, you are on the right platform. So even if that is your own website, it needs to be accessible, available. And when you are on Expedia and everywhere else, you know, you have the availability and you have the inventory and you are there, like people can recognize you. Um, like you're recognizable if if there are 10 car rental companies i can easily say green and black is xp uh, is uh, is uh, is uh, is enterprise and i know like you know red orange and blue is avis or whoever so i need to be able to that the only way that happens is when i've been already been fed all that marketing to to build that brand that hey this company stands for uh, for peace of mind, this company stands for safety, this company stands for clean cars. And that happens before you go on vacation. Mm. That didn't happen when when you are actually on a vacation or when you're booking a ticket. That happened before that. So it's a it's a different I know it's 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 different. It's probably is more expensive as well to to market that way because everyone's very focused on let's spend money on Expedia, let's spend money on Priceline to get the ads and the eyeballs and the clicks. But there's a whole element of upper funnel that's happening somewhere else. Like when I'm searching on the internet for for vacation spots, that's when you want to be start feeding information about your brand, so that by the time people come, it's already in the subconscious mind what they want, and that's when they will be willing to pay because they've already the seeds already in their mind. Uh, I was uh, I. I think there was a good illustration that we can use maybe for the, the car rental. And, and uh, you, you put that, that post a couple of weeks ago related. Uh, it was related to the brand called Liquid Death. Yeah. Which is water in a can. If I'm not mistaken, that's right. We are talking yeah. 
natural what? spring water what? in a can. Yeah. So spring water in a can. Yeah. <laughs> it is not. There is even no more. Not such commodity than water. Than water. Yeah. Because everybody needs to drink it every day. Yeah. <laughs> One to two liters yeah. a day. And yeah. these guys, I mean, sorry, to tell the story of the of this company, how they are differentiating, the, how they, they build their brand, how they differentiated themselves. Can you yeah. illustrate this? Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. Water is a perfect commodity. And before even liquid death, remember, they, there's a plastic bottle that has, you know, that plastic water bottle that you can, it has a different and the value of that water is different in different places. We all know that, right? Like a, the value of plastic water bottle refilled at home is free. At the convenience store over there, it's like two bucks. At the grocery store, it's a, a buck a bottle. At the airport, it's four bucks a bottle, right? So the value changes every time the bottle gets placed somewhere else. So water in itself is a commodity, but its value keeps on changing as depending on where you keep it. And then these guys, and before even liquid death, you had other companies like Flow or some other ones that are basically made fancy packages around water, glass water bottles that were more expensive and people were buying it because they thought this was cool. And then these guys came in and said, hey, all these plastic water bottles, they, they, are, they don't have any, any branding, they don't have any soul, they don't have any messaging. Um, they're basically like, hey, you drink from the bottle, you crush it and you throw it away. Uh, they're not making any connection with anyone. So we're going to be this brand called Liquid Death. And we're going to call this, we're going to call this, and the logos and the slow, like the tagline that they use all talks about like really hardcore, like metal band or something, but it's like crushing it. Um, like there, and, and that resonated with people. People were like, huh, yeah, this, the, uh, this commodity water, which I really never cared about. Could actually be fancy. I want to be perceived as a fancy water drinking guy who actually drinks this 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 fancy water, uh, which is you know uh, normal water. But again, at the end of the day, branded differently. They make they and and then then and how do they differentiate themselves? They differentiate themselves by making fun of themselves, and that is a skill that not a lot of people use. Not a lot of people use. They make fun of themselves. They literally do. What they did was when they go on their Facebook page, when people leave a bad review for them, like, hey, here's a bad review that this water tastes like sweat. They take that review and they make a sound out, a song out of it. And then they leave the song on Spotify. They made a whole album. They made a whole album of songs from bad reviews and released it on Spotify. And people are listening to those songs because that's freaking fancy. And it's, again, it's, it's different, it's catchy. It's, 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 it's actually just um, questioning what a commodity is and what can you do with a commodity if you do it right. That's why I say branding is a, has a lot of branding, messaging, and, and impacting your, the, your mind is, is something that a lot, not a lot of companies use, but when used right, it can have massive consequences. That company is going to do $200 million in revenue this year. That's two hundred million dollars of selling bottled water. Now, of course, they started selling, you know, flavored raspberry water and raspberry this and this and this. So they're doing they're extending their lineup, which it's natural. But all of that is sticking with the customer. And 
one day they will be as big as some other company like Monster Energy or some other brand that basically was selling same sort of a same sort of a product. And and that's why I and that's why I say as brand they took a risk. They 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 knew what their who the ideal customer is. Their ideal customer is not a person who goes and buys a forty-eight pack of bottled water from from Costco or from Walmart or from you know Tesco or wherever you're buying it from. And then they're not their ideal customer. Their ideal customer is maybe a young, you know, eighteen to 30, 35 year old guy who wants to who wants to look cool, who wants to have something different, who wants to you know you know who wants to be who wants to have affiliation with a brand that's basically more dramatic and more funny and more you know you know more they're also sustainable they say they're they are more sustainable than plastic because they're metal so there's just that going for them um going for them so so they're they're doing all these things and there's not one there's probably a few other products that are in the same sort of same sort of space that basically said hey we are a commodity, and I'll tell you about the protein powder sector. Protein powder is a commodity. It's, it's one. It's made. Every protein powder is made the same way. They come from the same source. There's only a handful of sources where the world's protein powder powder comes from, like in Europe or North America and a couple of places. It's just packaged and branded differently. It's just a slight variation in flavor in how much chocolate is added, how much this is added, and how much some of the extra ingredients are added. At the end of the day, they're all the same. But guess what? There are a couple of companies in that space that that have become almost like um, big, big, big companies because they focused on brand. They said, "Yeah, protein powder is a commodity, but we are a brand." So they did their pricing right, they did their packaging right, and people could identify their bottle, their protein powder bottle, from like hundred feet away. That hey, that's optimum nutrition, red and black protein powder, because they did branding right. They would they would plaster you all themselves all over the internet in the right places. So when per, that that consumer steps into the health store to buy a protein powder, they recognize that oh I have seen this online. I've seen this in 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 influencer ads. I've seen this somewhere. So it's it's the placement that happens everywhere else for that commodity for it to convert into a sale when someone steps into the right buying environment. Hey, I'm gonna buy this now, uh, and because they remember that, and I think that goes back to the same thing. That hey, if your brand building of your car rental agency was happening outside of the platform, by the time someone comes into the platform, they will be choosing you. And and it's I understand it's a very cutthroat industry. It's a very cutthroat industry, but remember back in the days when enterprise was number one, I think, and and uh, Avis was number two. They made fun of themselves and said, "Hey, we are the number two. And over time, over time, I think something clicked with customers. They made a, there were a lot of ads. I think I can go on the internet and find out about Avis being number two and how they made they made fun of themselves. And eventually, they became the number one car rental agency, just doing doing that. Eventually, right, right, right. Because, so that's uh, that's I, I'm super um, super interesting and super inspiring. This because. Um, I'm in this business for 25 years, and it's, uh, you know, the, 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 most of the car rental companies, despite what they declare, are mostly, they, they left this marketing away because it's a cost uh, for them, for sure. It requires some time, investment, and it's not when you start 
you will harvest the result a couple of years afterwards. That's for sure we have to start from. We have to invest first. And uh, they said, oh, but it's easier to, to give this marketing management to these uh, platform, looks, let's say the retailers, uh, we call it brokers in our, in our business. And in fact, they, they really leave it aside. And we have few examples, like uh, we have a Lebanese client called Advanced Car. And the guy, whenever there is a price change, is saying, okay, the price will change on the 1st of September. So we are currently sending away a marketing campaign that they directed to our clients in order to tell you, because you are our clients already and you are valuable to us, we inform you that the price will change in 10 days from now. And we give you the priority to book like an advance uh, a pre-sales or something like yeah. that. You know? So you yeah. can benefit from the low price now if you book over the next 10 days. Yeah. And it's easy. It costs nothing with the electronic stuff. You just need to manage a kind of uh, customer database for sure. Yeah. But you can have those kind, these kind of, of things. In US, for example, and I'm, I, it came in my mind when you, you said the guy who, who makes first uh, fun at them, maybe you know this brand in US called rent a rec Oh, rent yeah, rent a rec yeah. rent a rec If you look at the name, you say, am I going to rent a rec car? And in yeah. fact, they, they turn this, okay, it's a, I think it's a Mac minimum 10 or 15 years old car, yeah. totally well-maintained, good conditions, etc. And they build their loyalty, their brand. Say, hey, guys, you can save some money driving not the last car, the last new car, but good condition. And the one who wants to get to a, save 50%, yeah. maybe compared to a regular new car, come to us. And they are super successful for the last, uh, I don't know, uh, decades or two. Um, it's a good example yeah. also, as you said. Yeah, it's because remember, people have... So whenever we have done any pricing exercise or when everyone when everyone does any pricing exercise, they need to find out what are the factors that influence it. A lot of people just price based on like, hey, people are only concerned about price. Actually, people are not concerned about price. People are concerned about price. They're concerned about the brand. They're concerned about uh, the value they'll get from it. And in, in the car rental space, the value is not the car rental. The value is going from A to B. And to go to A to B, there are three paths. You can have a high car rental, a medium car rental, and a low car rental. And what happens a lot of time is brands try and attract everyone. So they'll try and attract everyone and spend all this money to attract everyone to, to take this high car rental when you could basically segment them. And that's what rent a car, rent a, rent a rec did. That, hey, the segment of customers who are at the bottom who said price is the main concern and their only value proposition they care about is going from A to B, we're going to fit right into that space. We're going to fit right into that space. We're going to compete on cost. We're going to compete for the low price customer and we're going to give back value to them day in, day out. And that sticks. That sticks. So that's why I say, hey, either compete on price or compete on brand. Anytime you compete in the middle, you'll be you'll be in no man's land. So even if you're, if you're competing on price, you know, Every day, you're going to charge the lowest, and you're going to find a way to make your cost the lowest, whatever way you do it. Either you cut something, you if you have the lowest price, you can cut marketing. If you have lowest price, you can cut, maybe you can. You don't have to buy the latest and greatest models. You're you know, a couple of years older, and that's how you cut costs, and you have fewer employees, less processes, more systems, and that's how you 
you can't sell a low price cost, low price car and have a high cost structure. You got to bring your cost structure down. Otherwise, low cost, high cost structure, you're going to go bankrupt after a while, which a lot of businesses do because they compete on price, but they don't adjust the cost structure. You got to adjust the cost structure. So whatever way you do it, technology nowadays helps you lower your cost structure immensely. You know, outsourcing to technology, everything from, you know, from all the admin tasks and all the whatever you're doing, um, you know, that required a human before can be technologically done, then lower your costs and then charge the lowest price. And then for the higher end, you're charging higher, invest in your brand. Because if you're charging higher, you can always take money from that extra margin that you're making, invest into marketing. That's the game. You can't put it in your pocket. If you try and put everything into your pocket, then eventually you're going to land somewhere in the middle because your marketing is not going to be great. So if you're a premium brand and you're premiumly priced, you got to take that money and invest back into the brand because otherwise you can't sustain that. You can't sustain that high price without reinvesting back into the brand, which is again a mistake a lot of people do because they just basically take that high price and basically think, oh, this is extra margin that I can just now keep. No, it's actually going back so you can sustain it. And is it the, is what you are saying is um, uh, summarized by your concept of uh, good, better, and best? Yeah. Doing kind of segmentation am i right to say that yeah. can you illustrate this for our for our audience yeah so the best way to segment a customer is always and this has worked throughout history of value of of pricing is this 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 notion of good better best you provide every customer is different they value different things and some will value price much and there's some will value uh, whatever extra value that there is and they will self-segment into the where they think they they will they they want to be. For example, if you go to a restaurant, you don't always you don't order the cheapest wine. You order the wine that's one above the cheapest, not the most expensive, not the cheapest. You order the one you the wine that's either one above the cheapest or maybe two spots above the cheapest. But that's how human behavior is wired. We don't want, right away, we don't want the best, and right away, we don't want the worst. We want the middle. So your pricing offering should always be optimized for the middle so that when people make the switch, you make the maximum amount of margin. So let's say you're making X amount of margin here on the good, better, best. You have good, better, best. And at the good end, you're making less margin. And at the best end, you have high cost because you're maybe providing the best service. You have a high cost. Maybe your margin isn't that great percentage-wise. But the middle, you got to make sure you're optimized for the middle because middle is where a lot of people will, will land. And middle, you got to make sure that you have your pricing right, you're optimized, your cost of that product in the middle is optimized because people will just want to be in the middle. Because there's And there's several experiments that show that when you have a good, better, best, People will just gravitate to the middle because they use the anchor points. They use the anchor point on the right. They use the anchor point on the left, and they gravitate towards the middle. Tell me if you if you ever have come across this in any in any shape or form, you will always look at you will fixate your eyes to the middle, and then you'll think about if you want to gravitate from that or not. Because most often you'll just finalize using that. So for the car rental companies, it's very important from that perspective to be able to have that offering where you can take the people who are really price sensitive into the into the bottom product, let's say the good product, the really good high-end customers who are willing to spend the money on the best side. And I think 
uh, the the part that probably is difficult to figure out there is who's less price sensitive than the other and i think that's where the loyalty programs come in that's where your tracking of what that customer is worth comes into play sector so you uh and if you are if you are have a customer that basically has already picked SUVs or bigger cars, then you know they're less price sensitive. They're going to go for the higher, bigger cars, not the middle cars. So that's where the good, better, best really comes into play. You need to have a good, better, best strategy. It's a given. You have a good, better, best. That's your horizontal differentiation, and then you need to add some vertical differentiation in each of these, like add-ons. What add-on can I add? There's an add-on for 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 let's say insurance there's an add-on for car seats uh child seats there's an add-on for gps there's an add-on for this so that's that happens a lot which you can add to each and one thing i really like is one concept that's not used very often in 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 in, in car rentals is this this theory of loss aversion i don't know if you've heard of the story but it says the story that of what? Can you the story of the, the theory of loss aversion. Ah, okay. People, the theory of loss of aversion. Okay. Yeah. Loss aversion. People, okay. people are more fearful of loss than, than they are excited about gain. So I'll tell you an example. So if by human, our human, our human behavior is wired such that if someone says, here's an opportunity for you to save money of let's say a hundred bucks and here's an opportunity to make hundred dollars in most cases in most cases we'll take the opportunity to save a hundred bucks because that has a higher impact in our mind than the gain we just value loss a lot more so like so it's basically like if here's an opportunity but if this opportunity doesn't go well you will lose a hundred bucks and this is the other opportunity and this is where we will take the safe path it's just how you're wired so for example and this is a huge implication in the car rental industry which i don't see them using very often so when you do a checkout on the car rental page right you you select your car you select your days everything is going well and you add you come to a screen that says hey add insurance most often people will say i don't want to buy insurance right because they feel like they don't need it or they don't feel like They'll get into an accident, etc. At that or moment, this inclu including their credit card, for example. Or they're including the credit card, right? Normal gold card, whatever. Yes, but here's what, and I, I've seen it happen with a couple of times with with not with the car rental, but it happened with a U-Haul. I was I was getting one day. So on the checkout page, when they showed the 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 insurance, they had two pictures at the bottom, and they took the the truck and they added the cost of replacing of each item from the bumper to the headlight, to the windshield, to this, everything. Like hundreds and dollars, hundreds of dollars for each part. So when I was there and I wanted to book in and now I'm thinking, oh, the cost of insurance is only a hundred bucks. But the loss I'll face if something happens is adding up to like thousands of dollars. If I get into an accident where my bumper and my headlight is gone, that's three thousand dollars in parts only, not including labor. So at that point, the 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 aversion of loss kicks in, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna spend the hundred dollars 
because I don't want to face the loss of that $300. And that is that is very important. That loss aversion is, is a human concept. Day in, day out, that happens that you want to avoid loss. You'll do everything to avoid loss because that impacts our brain more than the feeling of goodness we get out of gains. That's loss aversion. I love your uh, your illustration of your whole. Uh, that's excellent, effectively. Um, to show this uh, is extremely clear for the people. They say, oh, yeah, if something. Yeah. And I remember once I was renting a car and I, I hit uh, something on the on the freeway that was, you know, uh, a work a, a work sign with a plastic cone. We say that, yeah. a plastic yeah. cone, you know, yeah. they use it yeah. the, yeah. And it was yeah. it was in the middle of the road. I was driving like 100 kilometers per hour and then it hit, it goes below the, 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 the the car and it yeah. hits a lot of the, the, the bumper in fact and when i say and it's at 100 kilometers an hour the, the it's really the big it's a big impact huh? uh, it's and yes i got a charge for 700 euros or something just for to, to replace this part and uh, i didn't buy any insurance at that time say so, hey yes it was yeah. eventually to have paid a little uh, 50 euros extra on yeah. that day it's but uh, I, I like this uh, this trade-off directly display in front of the eyes of the customer yeah absolutely and not just not just online it can even be used in person right if you're if you are a sales rep at whatever car agency and you're basically giving someone a sixty thousand dollar car and i think they sometimes do it sometimes they do it sometimes they tell you that hey any damage that happens to the sixty thousand dollar car you are liable before the insurance pays out so on the day this happens you are on the hook. So I think even there you can use that same theory that, hey, just an FYI, it's a $6,000 car. There's a better way to position it, but you know, the $6,000 car, if something happens to the car, you know you are first liable before your insurance pays out. You got to pay the money. And at that point, people might think, oh, I'm actually liable for this before my insurance pays out. Uh, so I might make this, I might, that might change how people perceive that. So that's one, right? And the second thing I always think is, and I think I know insurance is complicated because there's underwriting and there's an insurance company involved and there's rates, et cetera. But I'm hoping your clients in the in this industry are doing A B testing day in, day out of price points for insurance. Because I know that's a huge it can have huge swing. Because nine dollars a day for 20 days, maybe something I wanna I wanna pay. Maybe twelve dollars a day for twenty days is something I don't want to pay. Pay. So I think figuring out that maximum willingness to pay for that service is something we sort of have to we sort of have to keep in mind that you're always testing, and you know, there's all different pricing experiments to to figure out what people will pay for that product or whatever that product is or whatever the insurance product is. This you can either test it directly by A/B testing on the website and say, "Hey, I'm going to test nine bucks today and see how many people take insurance." Or I'm going to test twelve bucks tomorrow and see how many people take insurance. And it fluctuates. You know, it will fluctuate. More people will pick it at nine bucks, less people will pick it at twelve, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that's something that should be done always, I believe. So. And there is also for the uh, you were uh, uh, that that could be interesting to to um, to to. Um... Uh, describe because you you have been a, a heavy renter, uh, yeah. so I'm sure you have experience. I mean, when you increase the number of rentals, definitely you had some accidents, you had some some difficulties uh, just by uh, mathematics probabilities. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, little by little, 
how did these these experiences affect your either willingness to pay your decision process um what was the impact on you and your wife yeah now afterwards renting cars did you change your mind did you change your uh, way of looking at it yeah uh, i think i did i think i did in a sense that hey i i now have a baseline expectation what a car rental is what's included in a car rental what kind of service i can expect like i can expect to walk into a dealership and get a car any day any given day i expect clean cars i expect uh, now that i'm a valuable customer i sort of expected an SUV every time because I'm like, hey, I think I've earned it over three years to get an SUV every time I show up to your like, I almost felt like that was that was my right, almost right. Um, and then I also but then I also made brand 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 uh, affinity, like I was like, I became an enterprise guy. I'm like, hey, I am if I'm going to spend money on a brand, I'm going to spend it on enterprise because that way I can build my equity with that brand. I can build my, my, my points with that brand, loyalty points with the brand. I can get a preferred rate. I, I don't want to be cross shopping day in, day out because then I don't get the benefit of the different services and brands and, you know, tiers in loyalty, pro, tiers in loyalty program. I don't get that. So that's, and I think that's what clicks for us that, Hey, now that you spend that money, you have, you have a brand that you want to associate them yourself to. And there's a loyalty program that you can really use to manipulate me by giving me offers or bump ups. And, you know, so those kind of things uh, are then we sort of new. Now, the one thing, the one thing I think car rental agencies do get wrong still is they make it easy for customers to shop for, for deals. And that's because Car rentals comes in waves. We understand that summer is high peak, fall will be summer lower, winter will be less cars, so on and so forth. And we know it's going to be discounted in the winter. It's going to be discounted. Like I could, I know I could buy cheaper cars all the way up to May. Is but it it changes the perception in customers' mind as well. Like hey, I could oh I used to be able to get twenty five dollar cars. No, but it's almost May now, and you have to pay forty five. So I think. There is a moment in time where where car rental company has to make sure that hey, there's there is there is the there is the need to get the car out at the cheapest price, but there's also a higher need to balance that against keeping your brand equity and making sure people don't perceive you as someone who always has cheaper cheaper cars all the time. I think there's 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 a balance there. Because if you're gonna send a car out at a loss because after paying for commissions and after paying for, you know, the, the wear and tear, if you're not making any money out of that, that car rental on that day, why do it and, and destroy your price equity in the market, keep your price equity and your premium positioning as is, as, and then utilize it when the rates are up. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting because I, you know that there are car rental companies are so much under the pressure to put all the cars on the road every day uh, because usually they buy these cars for a couple of months. You know, they have this summer fleet and then they deflate it during autumn and then they will go to the lowest level during winter and go increase the fleet afterwards. So they take some, uh, they take some, 
some some uh, some deals, some purchases, and with the treasury that is blocked at the at the at the bank, they really need to make sure that they will get the maximum money. When you compare with an hotel, this building is there for twenty years, yeah. thirty yeah. years eventually. Even a plane, you know, it can length for long. A train is length for long. A cruise liner, a cruise line ship, is it, it stays for a long time. Fleet is extremely short. Rent, um, they have an yeah. extremely short um, holding period. That creates a lot of pressure for the 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 the, the, the owner uh, of the brand to make sure that eventually they will put they will do whatever it's crazy in order to attract the customer to make sure that their cars will be on the road. Yeah. So then they can pay their lease for the six months uh, lease they have negotiated with the bank. And um, I really liked your idea about this um, A-B testing and uh, balancing the, the brand equity versus the price. I think it's really refreshing to hear that. So yeah. uh, I always think that there's because if I if you ask me or if you ask anyone who's got a car rental recently, maybe maybe standalone car rentals rather than the one that's booked with a hotel. And I know when a car rental gets booked with a hotel and a vacation, it's like then people can get a price sensitive because they were like, hey, the bills bills adding up. But if it's more of like, hey, uh, I'm renting a car for the weekend, between 40 and 44, there's a 10 percent increase in margin. I know it doesn't seem like it, but a 10 percent increase in margin over a year by doing experiments makes a lot of makes a lot of makes a lot of extra money across when you have per day per car into 10 cars into so many days it makes a huge difference so if whatever you can do to add the extra dollar in price so let's say you go 40 to 45 you got to just convince so let's so there's a concept called um it's called uh total economic uh, total economic value compared to the to the nearest alternative. So if you are a car rental company, you are in Toronto, you are in this neighborhood, your price, if you want to be a price higher than the next nearest alternative, you just gotta make sure that your price higher and you're adding that extra value that people can value and say, hey, okay, five bucks extra for an, for an extra clean 30 point inspection car. Hmm, that actually makes sense or some, something that people value in that instant where they look at it and be like, okay, oh, 2022 model, I'll pay five bucks extra for 2022 model compared to a 2021 model. Mm -hmm. Just giving them that information. Sometimes I've, I've sit in a car and it's got this fancy new equipment, even let's say, for example, my last car that I was at, that I had, and it has self-parking thing. And I'm like, if I knew the self-parking thing was there, I would have paid, I got it for free, but I would have paid an extra five bucks for that self-parking thing in tight spaces in downtown Toronto, where just you park your car on the side and it just goes inside. Absolutely. Like, these are the kind of things people value. It's just finding out what people value and then just charging for it. People are not afraid of paying as long as they can understand the extra value they're getting. It's when the value is confusing is when people are reluctant to actually pay the extra dollar. So just figuring that out is, I think it's a game changer and differentiating yourself for whatever value, small value proposition you can. It doesn't have to be too much. 
this has to be like pickups, drop-offs, all that kind of stuff managed well makes a whole lot of difference. Um, yeah, we are moving on the on the on the podcast now. It's good because uh, I mean um, you have been very refreshing looking at this uh, brand and this value. Uh, if we could uh, give, um, if you could share a, cha a challenge the, for for the next two weeks to our audience. What would you recommend them to do? Uh, something easy, eventually, uh, that does not require big computation and a lot of huge amount of data. But what would you recommend to them? Say, okay, guys, by early September, uh, try this and see how it goes. Um, I think there are two things. Right? The, the A-B testing one is big. If you if you own your car rental website, the ability to change change your prices on the fly and see the conversion rates is is is, is actually a, a it's a game changer like a lot of industries can't retail industry can't change change products day in day out they can't change prices every day so they have to live with the price that's out there car rental agency on the other hand have this ability to actually change the price several times during the day have Absolutely. you tried try charging a price higher at 10 o'clock at night when people are booking chances are people are going to be super tired and not willing to do the research to figure out what's the cheapest, what's the cheapest car until at 10 o'clock. Maybe they need it in an emergency, right? So those kind of things can make a huge, huge. So that one AB testing, test it on day, test it on the hour, like in terms of like time of day segment. When are, when are, when are the most car, like when are the bookings, booking traffic the most, try to experiment during that time or try doing experiment at night. Chances are, if someone is booking a car rental in the middle of the night, they're probably not going to be super motivated to go out and find, figure out what other alternatives are there. So if you were to just switch the price from 42 to 45, I bet you it's not going to make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. going to be the least. Of, no one's going to be price shopping for $3 and they've made up their mind to be on your website and be there uh, and trying to do a, ch a checkout. No one. It's just now how people operate. Um, so that's so that that is one, and I think the other thing is just figuring out customer sensitivity. You have a lot of customer data. Figuring out who your highest value customers are, customize offers based on that, because I think that's a huge differentiation in pricing. Is another key. You could charge someone higher by sending them an email saying, "Hey, for you, for you only, as you said, on that day, on that in that summer month, rate is this much, which could you can make up a rate which is higher than your current base rate." And see if they buy it. And those kind of those the ability to diagnose based on based on customer and customer sensitivity and customer segments and all the data that you have. I think your current agency is sitting on a wealth of data in customer demographics, how many trips people have taken, how many kilometers they drive, what kind of cars they have used, and just use it and use nostalgia. People want to go back and associate themselves with the brand that they've used in the past. Past if. I think that I I love I love these uh these two one especially the one like looking for the uh the highest uh, value of the customer there is very few time spent in order to uh, dig into this kind of detail and say yeah. oh by the way this gentleman and this lady they were extremely high value to us let's yeah. understand why and therefore they were to try to attack similar yeah. type of clientele 
Yeah, I, and you never know. You might even find that there's price sensitivity between genders. One is maybe more price sensitivity than the other. It could be you could have a female demographic that's less price sensitive than male demographic. You never know what, what the numbers will tell you until you start looking for it. So once you start looking, you really find the golden nuggets of information. Um, how do you continue to learn? Uh, how do you, what kind of a book or whatever? How do, how do yeah. you continue to, 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 yeah. to progress on yourself as a, as a man? So, yeah, I consume a lot. I consume a lot. Like I consume a lot of like, like literature out there, like newsletters, news. I consume a lot of like books on, on like nonfiction. I, so I, 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 can, I consume a lot of LinkedIn. I, so I, I'm constantly looking to connect with people who are like experts in their field. So now I'm connected to you. And now I actually know an expert who's in car rental. How mind-blowing is that? That I actually know an expert in the car rental and car rental space industry. It's like, it's, and that just happens because, you know, you're out there and trying to read and connect with people. So I use, I use books a lot. And I use, um, you know, every now and then, I'll read a research paper that's easy to read on some topic and you know I'll do that but books are primary and if you are and I think in the car if you're in the car rental agency the book you want to read is on is on uh, is on what do you call it um, consumer psychology and behavior there's a book called um, predictably irrational by Dan Early he is the number one consumer psychology and behavior expert in the world. There is no match. And you read his book and he has got all these examples of what people value and what people will care about and how how many different experiments they've done with people and prices and like, it's just mind blowing. That's a mind, that's a 100% uh, the book. Everyone who is selling to a customer should read if they're, if they're trying to, to change the behavior of a customer towards a product. Um, predictably irrational. Okay. Uh, we're going to put these uh, reference uh, on the notes of this uh, podcast. So uh, everybody will be able to connect and eventually uh, download it on the Kobo uh, e-reader. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and um, uh, so the, the, um, where do we find you? I, I said at the beginning. I, I said at the beginning, in the introduction, that you are uh, an heavy writer. Yeah. Uh, where can we we when we can follow you? What is the best platform? Do you have a website? Where where, where can we know more from you and get more of your advice? Yeah. The best platform to find me is obviously LinkedIn. That's where a lot of my focus generally is. Uh, that's what I check every day. Check multiple hours a day. Um, so the best, that's my best platform. I also have a newsletter that also that I can, I'll, I'll send out to you guys. It's uh, it's a Substack newsletter. You know, you can subscribe to it. Um, and uh, yeah, those are, two, those are two main places I am, I'm putting all my energy into and you can find me um, in any pricing conversation that's happening on LinkedIn. So, okay. Yeah. And you are also uh, writing a lot on the professional pricing society uh, group yeah. on LinkedIn. So yeah, just trying to just just trying to help out as much as possible to anyone who's pricing, who's who's starting the career in pricing, because the thing is, there's no there's no 
there's no like textbook on pricing. No one went to school or had a course on pricing that, hey, maybe now a couple of universities have a course, but everyone just taught marketing and pricing were like four pages inside that, inside that book. But now we have hundreds and thousands of people who are working in the field. And I feel like not everyone has access to the same information. And my mission is to just try and connect everyone and say, hey, let's just talk about the stuff that I know. Let's learn the stuff that you know, and maybe we can make something good out of it. And, you know, and eventually you can, you, can, you can create a, a program on a univer in a university, a one-year program dedicated to... Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's that's that'd be the hope. Yeah, that'd be the hope that we can actually have enough information that we can package into something that's useful for someone. Yeah. Um, in order to enlarge the the, the community and the uh, and the 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 the, the 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 good inspiration for our audience, would you recommend somebody that could uh, that could fit into this revenue machine uh, approach yeah. of the yeah. of the business? Do you have somebody in mind that you say, oh, that is that you, you could make an interview of that guy. It would be extremely uh, valuable for the community. Yeah, I think there's a there's a someone named Stephen Forth. He is he is the he he owns a he owns a, a, a small a small or I don't know like big consulting firm in in uh, in Canada, and they focus very heavily on like pricing design and customer psychology and you know hierarchy of customer needs and and trying to figure out the maximum value that they can get for their clients i think they he would be a great foot because he likes design he likes you know pricing you know frameworks so i i think he would be a good fit for uh, he would be a good fit for sure i'll i'll put in a word i'll probably try and connect you guys as well then it's pleasure. Oh. Is it the guy um, at Iba Ibaka? Yep, the guy at Ibaka. Right. Ibaka yeah. Performance, yes. I remember yeah. you, had, you, you made a reference to Ibaka a couple of weeks yeah. earlier on your yeah. on your post. Yeah. Okay, well, it's, it's pleasure. Yeah. You're good. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Yes, I think we need to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm organizing uh, twice a year what we call the We Yield Forum because my company, the company I've created called We Yield, and uh, it's really a way to, to gather people in order just for them to first go out of their office and and just get some inspiration, share practices, share knowledge, yeah. share challenges, even though sometimes they can be competitors, overall they are doing the same job. Right. And I don't know for the other industries you have been working with, but I've been working in the hotel before and there was in, in, the, in the retail industry or the FMCG, there is many conferences like this, but for the current old people, mostly they are working on the silo mode, you know? Yeah. And uh, I try over the last years to gather these guys, say, come, discuss, oh. um, get some inspiration, come to learn, to shake ideas, um, and you will get only benefits. That's the reason why, and I really, I'm really happy that you, you accept to participate to this podcast. Because you can be... a uh, a big uh, inspire for for these guys to say oh yeah they gave me good tips uh let's try tomorrow a few things it will be manual but that's okay as long as we try something yeah like i think there's a huge value in connecting people like i think you're on point that hey everyone's working in silos and everyone and everyone has their own problem every day but sometimes i feel like someone else has a solution to a problem i'm having and i'm i have a solution for someone a problem someone else is having 
and bringing them together i think there's huge value in it and you know being being route, routing for you know rooting for a community and creating a community is a, is a huge the huge is a huge task and i think there's great benefits there so yeah. and kudos to what you've done and how you brought the industry together um what is your now we are we are ending what is your checkout karen what do you keep um um as the uh, as a as a conclusion what do you carry back from this um, moment we spend almost an hour and 30 yeah. minutes together um what is your feeling and emotion now oh i think i'm more excited right now than i was excited coming in because coming in i was a little bit like juggling that whole issue with the camera and the audio and those bit I was a bit nervous and I'm like, hey, what happened? Iman will be super pissed because I already changed the time in the morning and now I'm, I'm again late. So I was a bit more nervous, but now having having talked to you and I think it's, it's amazing. I have more energy right now to talk about. I feel like I'm going to go out and do something more about, read something more about car rental agencies now and figure out how can I add value there? How can I, you know, how can I put a spin on something that I've learned that's, that's useful? And I think I'm going to reflect on the question you asked me, like, hey, what are the things that you can leave? I think I will go back and figure out what is in actuality something that's even more meaningful that maybe something someone else has worked in another industry that might be applicable here and, and maybe it's around consumer psychology or you know value proposition and whatever it is. I'm gonna come back and send you something and say, hey, this is something valuable that I thought more when I thought more about it. So um, you know, I'll give more thought. So thank you very much. On, on my side, what I carry back is uh, really this uh, focus on the brand and the value proposition I, I'm fighting since years, uh, really, to, to say that to the customer, you, you are not a commodity business because when people take a car and, and do 500 kilometers or drive their family, they want to be safe. They want to be... Yeah. Uh, it, it's... a uh, Car rental is not an is not the end of the travel. It's just a, a, a mean a, a medium to achieve something. Either to have a meeting, visiting a factory, to attend a family party, to have some yeah. vacation or road trip. So, but yeah, it's, it's this, there this is a big thing. value in the service, and you should invest on this in order to to uh, to develop uh, to develop this uh, uh, brand yeah. awareness, this loyalty, yeah. and this and for the customer to understand the value behind it so we recently took a trip for two weeks out in the east coast here in, in canada and we had a car rental and by the end of two weeks like we always felt like an affection to the car like hey this is our car this is what we did a big trip in so it's it's then you can't put a price on that right there is that's why i feel like brand building and having a good experience from the day one when you're booking it to when you're picking up the keys to when you when you arrive at the clean car, to when you go and you know go drive it, and you if you ever get into an issue, what happens at that point? How easy is it for you to call them, and you know for them to fix the situation, and how good the the checkout per time is, like how you drop off and how how it all works, and you know is it is it you know good customer service? I think there's huge ways to add value in, into that into that whole into that whole process, and where car rentals need to take in, and I think need pages from like from not just from the hotel industry hotel industry is great but from company like airbnb who made this experience the whole thing so i don't know if you know about this project called snow white at airbnb it's a snow huge, white yeah it's called snow white so what 
one day the the ceo of um, of airbnb texted their design head that the word snow white and didn't say anything else and a couple of days later they got this uh, Disney uh, 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 you know, artists from Disney to come in, and what they did was with that artist, they made this journey. The artist literally created a journey of of a person who's going on a vacation, all the way from the time they thought about the vacation and what happens that day, how they talk to their their family about the vacation, what are they thinking, what are what are the main things that impact them all the way to when they're booking, what their booking experience was like. So they literally drew, the artists would draw the process. Like, hey, these are, these are two people talking about, about um, uh, this is a drawing of two people talking about how and where they're going to stay, what kind, of, what kind of places they want to be at. And then they took it for every, for every department that, hey, okay, this is how customer experience will, will is, this is a drawing for customer experience. This is a sketch for, for 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 checkout, this is a sketch for for post post vacation uh, survey. This is how people will interact, and they made that customer service and that design thinking of how what is the customer thinking into that into that into that 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 caricature or whatever that drawings, and it, then they took it to every team and they said, hey, this is what you're striving for, and those are the kind of things that brands who are really good at it are doing. So they're going out there and figuring out what the customer really values, what the experience is going to be at that very moment when they're, they're going to be at the checkout page of the, of, the, of the car rental or at the pickup point. What is their experience? What is their environment like? What are they talking about? And just and just showcasing that and, and, and changing that environment to making it more, more better for them. And that's when people feel good that's when they will pay you more and that's how that's how everyone will make more profit and that's how airbnb does it so thank you very yeah. much uh, karan for your time i really appreciate no i thanks for having me i really appreciate it this was this was this it was fun talking to you and you know say hi to your listeners and uh, yeah and you can they can always find me on uh, on linkedin k-a-r-a-n last name s-o-o-d current suit and uh, yeah happy happy to be here today so Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You reached the end of the Revenue Machine podcast. I hope you enjoyed this moment of sharing ideas and tips. Give us a five-star if you liked it. That's the only way to be seen in the Magma of podcast. You can also forward this podcast to two other people you love. Wheel Team is available to help car rental operators who are frustrated by the data they have and the data they would like to have but also the one who wants to be guided along their revenue transformation process. Contact us. Bye-bye.